0: The Stage Door Show, celebrating the independent artist, with your host, Dave Hondell.
1: Hi everybody, welcome to the Stage Door Show. Tonight, this is Dave Hondell. I'm very lucky to have tonight's guest. He's an award-winning screenwriter and director, and we're so happy he's with us tonight to talk about his career and his upcoming projects. So welcome to the show, Mr. James Kerwin.
0: Hi, thank you uh, so much for having
1: me. It's our pleasure. Uh, again, thank you for the time. You know, James, you've written for television, which we're going to get into later, but as well as the big screen. Uh, but you're also well known for your Shakespearean adaptations for the stage and theater. So what's really your first love, stage or screen?
0: Oh, man, you know, <laughs> that's... that's. Uh for some people, say that's a tough question. For me, it's—I got to be quite honest. It's pretty cut and dry. Uh, it's the answer is screen. Not that I don't love directing for theater. I absolutely do. Um, but uh, it's not my first love. It's not my absolute passion. Um, I started—I uh, started out directing for for film actually. And uh, shortly after I moved to Los Angeles from Dallas, I. I wound up getting hired by a few different theater companies to direct for them, some great theater companies out here, uh, including the Blank Theater, um, which is just a fabulous, fabulous theater company run by Daniel Henning. Um, and uh, we do shows at uh, the Second Stage Theater, sometimes at the Stella Adler Theater here in Hollywood Island. And uh, I, I really, I didn't have that much of a stage background um, and, in, and I had no experience actually directing for stage, so I kind of moved from film to stage, which is a weird direction to go. But I really enjoyed it, and I did that for a few years. But I, I really did wind up coming to the realization that I missed film simply because theater is so much um, an actor's medium, and I don't mean that in a negative way at all. It's, right. it, it is an actor's medium, and I'm not an actor. Sure. Um, once the, the lights go up, the curtains go up you have no control of what's going on on stage anymore. You can't say cut, you can't edit the performances in post-production, you can't shift the audience's quote, camera angle. Yeah. So they see things a little differently. Um, you you set it and it goes, and it is it takes on a life of its own and it's its own thing. And uh, while that is an incredible art form in and of itself, and I am not in, in any way meaning to say that it's not. Right. and I have tremendous respect for people who who, who work in, in theater. Um, it just for me personally um the aspects of that that film has that theater doesn't have they both have things that the each other doesn't have but for me the aspects that film have that theater doesn't have specifically the editing where you can where you can alter the the, subtly alter the pace of a scene in 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 post-production for example the all of that um it's just something that i that i missed and i wanted to get back to so i kind of migrated back in the direction of doing film, although I do still direct for the blank from time to time.
1: So, so James, you know, what was your journey like, you know, getting into filmmaking, you know, when did that start for you and what brought you to Los Angeles? I mean, I, I know it was film, but when did that all start for you?
0: Yeah. You know, I, I, I it's hard to say exactly. I wanted, I, when I was growing up, I always wanted to go into astronomy and astrophysics. That was, I mean, I knew that's what I was going to do. I was going to be an astrophysicist. And, um, At some point, I kind of—I'd say it was in high school. At some point, I realized that I really liked visual storytelling. I mean, I, you know, did what many kids do—who watched Star Wars or Star Trek and played little shows with action figures and things. Sure. Um, but I tended to take it to a next level, and I would use my our parents' video camera, and I would start making little home movies and things like that. And, and at some point in time, it just became something that I realized I wanted to do. Wow. Um, and uh, I actually I went to uh, TCU in Dallas, and I started off. Um, doing a, I wanted to do a double major in astrophysics and filmmaking. Oh, wow. um, and uh, shortly in, I realized that I would be in college for a very, very long time if I did that yeah. because there's such disparate disciplines that had completely different course requirements and everything. And, and so um, I wound up um, dropping the astrophysics major. I did get a minor in it. I had enough for that. But hey. I, I, I really decided at that point to focus on filmmaking. Yeah. So um, after I graduated, I, I worked in the industry in Dallas, um, for several years, um, you know, I, I started off, you know, PAing on sets and gripping and and uh, just learning the ropes. You know, film school is great, but it's also, uh, you also need the real world experience. And um, I was able to do a short film when I was there that uh, kind of took off on the festival circuit. It started winning some awards, just started getting it started getting some attention from Hollywood agents. And at that point in time, I made the decision to move to
1: L.A. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good decision for sure. I know uh, just with all the awards that you've won and and all the uh the accolades from your films. I mean, it's just amazing. It just uh it, it goes down the whole list, but you know, I wanted to ask you this one question because, you know, as I, you know, I, I I never really got into major filmmaking like like you're doing, but just when I was younger, you making films, writing and directing my own my own uh, piece right and you know i know that yesterday was a lie one of your one of your pieces that you wrote and directed you know obviously writing and directing gives you the ultimate creative control uh, but you know now I, I guess do you collaborate with other writers if that is the case and do you ever do you ever collaborate with other writers to try to get different uh, i guess angles or different points of view to your work
0: well i've directed things that i've written like yesterday was a lie um, I've directed things that I have not written, like uh, a recent uh, Western film I did called When the Train Stops, mm-hmm. um, several episodes of Star Trek Continues I directed, but didn't write and some vice versa. Um, uh, so I've done both. Um, you know, it's it's tough because, yeah, absolutely. If if you're doing the, the quote auteur thing, and I don't really like that word, but that's what they call it. Sure. And, and what I mean by that is really just if you're a filmmaker who's writing and directing your own material, you're kind of conceiving the material yourself you're 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 imagining it from day one you're putting your team together um maybe you're even assembling the producers and and even maybe some of the financing and kind of just really the number one person behind the project and it's really all yours if if, if you're that kind of director as opposed to a director for hire um yeah you do have more creative control um there's a lot less money in that yeah <laughs> but right you do have more creative control <laughs> yeah um but I really warn people against, including myself, against getting cocky, for lack of a better term, Yeah. Um, because you need, it's really important if you have that degree of creative control to surround yourself with people whom you trust and specifically whom you trust to tell you no. Yeah. Um, Who you trust to say, hey, you know what, James, that scene does not work. That really needs to be cut from the script or the way you're shooting that is really not working. Now, ultimately, the book has to stop with you you have to be the ultimate decision maker you can't right. direct by committee um but you also have to take responsibility then for your choices if something you do doesn't work you fall on your sword i mean you take the responsibility for that that's right. that was your choice um and so yeah i think it's very important to have people who can who are not just yes men who can be completely honest with you and that you you listen to them um and and make your decisions taking all of that into
1: account yeah that's well said and i i completely agree with you on that and you know the other thing uh and i you you did a lot of work on you know star trek continues uh and you know with a franchise like that i mean star trek's been around uh, since i was a kid and you know it's it's it continues to thrive and you're working on a, a franchise like that you know either writing or directing it do you uh find that there's extra I guess not, I don't say pressure, but a challenge to to uh, to preserve the integrity of that franchise uh, when you're doing that project, and uh, you know even down to the way people talk or the way people move around the set. I mean, is is there a way that that you have to kind of uh, preserve that as a director and as a writer to make sure that you're you know you're you're keeping with the Star Trek theme, so to speak?
0: Sure, sure, yeah, absolutely. And and Star Trek continues is kind of unique and and uh, from in the sense well not unique because there were others at the time but it was it was produced during what they called kind of the wilderness years um after star trek enterprise had gone off the air but before discovery was on uh during a time period in which cbs paramount said um that they were okay essentially they tacitly <laughs> allowed wow. uh independent producers to make their own star trek content um and uh, uh, and post it on the web and star trek continues was was one of the, these web series. And, um, but it was the idea kind of behind it was to do one of these fan film web series, but one that was staffed both in front and behind the camera by industry professionals, right. professional writers, professional directors, um, department heads, professional actors, um, including many of the actors from, from the uh, quote, real Star Trek, um, yeah. were on ours. So, um, So it, and I think that shows in the quality of what we did. Um, But yeah, when you're working in somebody else's sandbox, you always have to respect that. I think, Um, and it, it, and in the case of of STC, one of the interesting things about it was we really wanted to make it feel like it was the fourth season of the original Star Trek series back in 1969, 1970. So uh, we didn't want to make it. We didn't want to write or direct it as a modern. Television series would be made today, um, so that was a huge challenge. Because when I go to direct a scene, I'm not just thinking, "Hey, how would I direct this now? How would I direct a scene today? How would I how would I tell this story?" Yeah. What I'm actually thinking is, "How would a director in 1969 have told this story?" Wow! And that's a huge challenge because the the the, I mean, even stuff like the camera equipment that we have available to us now, like steadicams and yeah. things like that. We didn't have that. They, they didn't have those things back then. A lot of, so, lot of
1: single um, shot tripod shots, yeah, things like exactly. that. Right? Exactly. Yeah, 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 locked
0: off shots. Shot. I mean, if you're moving the camera, you were you you've got a massive dolly that you're moving that thing on. Yeah. And you have So you you have to be very careful about the way you're setting up shots. There's not a lot of handheld stuff. Um, and uh, so you're really shooting things in a very different way than you would shoot things today. Even action scenes, yeah. like uh, in the first episode of STC that I directed, there was a there's a phaser battle in the hallways, and you know, I, I, there were so many things I would have wanted to do with it if it was something I was shooting yeah. today. Correct, but I wasn't. It was something that was designed to look kind of in that. I don't want to say stilted, but somewhat stiff style yeah, from right. 1969, the way things were staged and shot, just because they didn't have the resources to shoot things the way we do now. Well, oh, even the lighting so, even the
1: lighting was different back then. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> like studying Jerry Finnerman's lighting, um, our, our DP, Matt Busey, studied Jerry Finnerman's lighting, just just uh, encyclopedic knowledge of it he had. And wow. really just just uh, figured out exactly how to replicate that very distinct look that, that late sixties television had. Right. Particularly right. least Star Trek.
1: Yeah. Just amazing. I mean, yeah, just, just the fact that the fact that, you, you know, you're able to do that and do it well is this to me it's it's amazing like you said like you know, the the technology i mean it even changes year to year now <laughs> you know what what we had 10 years ago even it's, it's completely different yeah. right now so yep. to go back to 1969 that's just fantastic how you're able to do that you know the other thing i wanted to talk i mean th- this is something that i've talked to filmmakers about this and i get varied answers but you, you did a short that when the train stops it did very very well and i know that you know i i'm Partial to short films. I love short films because I I have very little attention span to sit through an hour and a half or two-hour film. It's just that's just who I am. But you know, in today's TikTok society, where people are on their phones and watching 10-second videos or 20-second videos and scrolling to the next one, does this affect you as a filmmaker? And does it affect how you make films, knowing that our society nowadays? is such has such a short attention span i mean does that affect uh the feature film now i mean i just wanted your thoughts on that
0: well in a sense in a sense it does and in a sense it doesn't i mean the 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 one thing that it it has done is the 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 the, just the the ubiquity of short free content that's available to anyone anywhere on the internet um has and and like i said the keyword there is free short free content content right um has made it pretty much impossible to monetize short films. I do love the short film format. I I I think it's it's a great art form in and of itself. Um, but um, gone are the days when you could make a short film and sell it to a distributor and make some money off of it, or right. mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, have it play before a movie in the sure. theater or something. Sure. It just it that doesn't happen now. Um, and um, uh, short films are really art for the sake of art. If you're going to make a short film, do it because you love it, do it because you want to. Do, don't do it because you think you're going to make money off it, because you're not. Right, right. Um, uh, you know, TikTok influencers, Instagram influencers, there are ones who do make money and do have a career actually do- doing that. But those are the exceptions that prove the rule. Um, unless you are one of those really high-end um, online influencers, you're not going to make much, if any money, creating short content. Sure. Um, so, uh, feature films, television, yes. Um, now, again, if you're working in the indie film world, which I do, you're not going to make a lot. If, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there will always be a place for feature films, but um, there's there's something to be said for something that takes an hour and a half or more to tell that, that uh, a story, right. you know, um, so in that sense, I don't think that the the kind of a TikTok style uh, has necessarily really impacted the way feature films are made or directed, yeah. um, but it's certainly certainly had an influence on on uh, the short film market which like i said is virtually non-existent right now
1: yeah yeah, yeah I mean, I, you
0: basically if you're gonna make a short film you post it online for free
1: exactly yeah you know
0: i mean that's that's what you're gonna do like even amazon prime mm-hmm. as of last year stopped carrying short films um except for the ones that were already in their library right um they stopped doing new new ones yeah. so it's really it, it really and that's kind of sad to see that that market dying but um as long as there are filmmakers who are interested in making shorts just for the sake of art yeah um, they'll still be short films
1: you know speaking of feature films uh, you know how long does it take to write and just out of curiosity I mean I know it's it's there's different answers to this too but how long does it take to write a feature film because I think some people some people don't realize that sometimes it could take a couple years right I mean Or longer. I mean, it depends, right? It
0: it totally depends. There's no set amount of time. I mean, famously, you know, you know, Sylvester Stallone wrote Rocky in you know a matter of weeks, you know, or days. Um, It it can be done very, very quickly, Um, and sometimes it is done very, very quickly. Other times, um, there are many years from, especially if you're talking about like the initial inception of the concept, um, the initial idea of the story, maybe putting together a, a treatment um or an extended treatment and then kind of ruminating on it and then working on the script over a while and then as the, as the film is in development of course even after the script is done it's not really done because it's still being changed and shaped in development it's still being changed and shaped when you're shooting right yeah, right um so uh, it's kind of never quite done done um yeah. i think yesterday was lie which is the feature that you mentioned before that i directed for entertainment 1 yeah um it uh it took, I think, I'm trying to think from the actual original idea to principal photography was maybe two and a half years, maybe wow. three years. Yeah. Um, the feature that I have in development right now is um, from the original um, conception of the idea has actually been even longer than that.
1: Wow. So, it's yeah, definitely they're definitely passion sense. projects. I think that you know, I you know, when you look at the documentary market too, I mean, some some of these documentaries will, will be shot over a period of years. Yes, you know, yes. sometimes ten years. Some of the mm-hmm. some of the best documentaries I've ever seen were were a following a child all the way to adulthood. Right, it's just an right, amazing right. you know passion project, and and then you have to have the technology change you know <laughs> the way you shoot it right. from those years as well It's just oh, sure, fascinating sure, to me. Sure. Just fascinating, and also
0: unless unless you're under a deadline. Um, it's sometimes the best thing to do for a script is to sit on it for a while. Yeah. Um, just, to, just to kind of put it away and not look at it for a while. You know, let, let your subconscious mind ruminate on it. Just, you know, kind of in the back of your head yeah. every once in a while. And it, it, it's surprising how many good ideas and thoughts come to you when you're not really trying. Yeah. <laughs> when you're not really focusing on trying to force the ideas out. Right. Sometimes, you know, like you'll write a draft of a script You'll save the final draft file, put it away in a folder on your hard drive somewhere. Not think about it for months or even a year, and then suddenly in the shower one day you'll have just a brilliant idea. Yeah, you got <laughs> to write it down with the story, and you go back to it, and you and you yeah. So, um, so if you're not in a rush, sometimes the best thing to do. And this this applies to the post production phase too. When you're editing a film, sometimes the best thing to do is step away from the project for a little bit yeah. and look at it again with fresh eyes.
1: Uh, I completely agree with you. You know, what, what about the COVID? Uh, you know, now that films are being made again and in the post COVID era, I guess um, you know, even though COVID's still there, <laughs> but but is it yeah. is it something that that is as a filmmaker yourself? I mean, it's got to be exciting actually to be out there and, and working, you know, doing things with the film again. But how was that like? One and a half, two years uh, that it was kind of shut down. How was that for you? And were you able to kind of focus on writing more, or writing, you know, some some scripts? And did that kind of help you kind of take time away from the actual production to do some, uh, you know, some uh, writing?
0: Yeah, well, that's exactly what I did, and I think that's what a lot of people in in my sphere did who, who work in the, the the mid to lower budget range of of feature filmmaking um, during COVID. The only films that were made really were super, super, super low budget. You know, I got together with two friends and filmed a little thing in my garage. Right. Or um, massive studio, $100 million feature films that could afford millions and millions and millions of dollars on COVID compliance. Right, right. Um, more traditional low low budget features um, really couldn't shoot during COVID. Not, a lot of them couldn't because... Yeah. Um, the expenses of COVID compliance, which is an absolutely necessary thing. Sure. I'm not, you know, it was completely necessary. Sure. Um and and it still is to be COVID compliant on your sets. Um, but that is very expensive. Yeah. Um and just just the COVID budget alone on most studio films exceeds the entire budget of many <laughs> low budget indies. Wow. Um, so it was just simply not practical. And uh, by many times, actually. Yeah. So it is it's simply not practical, um, for a lot of movies to shoot during COVID. Um, and now that, that some of the, um, some of those, uh, compliance guidelines are being relaxed a little bit more and you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood, they, they will be more in the course of the coming year. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting back into production.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, you know, and also I want to, want to ask you, you know, we have a lot of uh, people that listen to our our podcasts that are, you know, budding filmmakers, budding, you know, actors, singers, that type of thing. What do you say to that budding filmmaker or writer that's looking to make this into a career? You know, I guess, what would you say to that person? I mean, what kind of advice would you give?
0: Yeah, I'd say the first thing is decide if you want to um, write and direct for yourself or write and direct for somebody else. Um, and I, both are equally valid as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, if you are a writer or a director for hire, you're working on uh, somebody else's TV series, a big studio franchise project, something like that. Um, you're not going to have as much creative control, but you're going to make money. <laughs> and yeah. some, in some cases, a lot of money. Sure. Um, if you want to write and direct for yourself, um, you will have a lot more creative control. It may feel a little more artistically satisfying, but, um, it's not lucrative financially, usually.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, There are exceptions, of course, but those are the exceptions that prove the goal. So I would say first decide if you want to be a worker for hire or if you want to be more of an auteur. Um, but whatever you want to do, um, I, whichever of those things you want to do, I, I, I would say, you know, if, if this is truly your passion and you really can't picture yourself doing anything else, then absolutely go for it. Um, you're going to need three things. You're going to need persistent hard work. Uh, and that over the course of many, many, many years, you've got to work hard and you got to keep working hard and you can't give up. You also, frankly, do have to have a certain degree of artistic talent. Um, and uh, you can, uh, if you are worried maybe that you don't have that, I encourage people to check out film courses, film schools, in which you can learn both the art and the craft and get experience. Um, but you do, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, you do have to have an artistic voice right um and then the third thing you need <laughs> people don't like to hear this is you do need luck i mean you need to be in the right place at the right time or know the right people yeah um and that's just an unfortunate truth of the business there are talented people out there there are hard-working people out there who have just never caught a break yeah uh there are people who will say that that's not true and i call bs that's yeah. absolutely
1: true I, I think it's that um, way in life so in general <laughs> i mean you know it's not just the entertainment absolutely. world but it, it's in business and anything else that you do right yeah. sports anything yep. So, James, um, you know, I know that you have a new project that you're working on right now, and it's called Contra Coup. It's, it's, a, it's a film project, so why don't you let us know what that is? And I know that there's a, there's a fundraising aspect to this, too, so why don't you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, you know, I, after I did Yesterday Was Alive, which is a kind of a philosophical, metaphysical, sci-fi-leaning film, um, you know, I did several other things since then, but a lot of people have said, when are you going to do another feature that kind of has the not necessarily the same feel or the same themes, but that, that's still somewhat philosophical and really kind of the, the kind of sci-fi that makes you think. And Contra Coup is a, is a script that I've been developing for several years. Um, and uh, it's something I'm really looking forward to. It's a, it's a science-themed uh, psychological mystery, I guess I would call it for lack of a better term. Um, and it's something that I really think people can can kind of sink their teeth into philosophically if they watch it and really talk about and think about for a long time afterwards. Um, So it's something I'm looking forward to doing. Um, We have, uh, now the film is actually being produced um, uh, through a nonprofit uh, arts cooperative called Helicon, which is is, a 501c3 nonprofit arts foundation for cinematic arts. Um, And uh, it kind of follows the theater company business model um and we have raised a um, we have raised a significant amount of our financing privately already um so we're kind of gearing up to go uh but we would like a little more help um so we did start an indiegogo campaign that is going to be running uh through the end of july i believe um beginning of august somewhere around there um and uh so it is accepting donations donations are completely tax deductible in the u.s um, because it is a, a 501c3. Um, so yeah, if people are, and there's some cool perks on that too. So if people are interested in being a part on of this particular film from the ground up, uh, I encourage people to check that out. The uh, The website of the Indiegogo campaign is fightforyourmemories.com. Um, so uh, if you go to that and check it out, um, you can help get the film made.
1: Yeah, I was going to say because you know anybody out there listening that wants to put some money in there, I mean, just think about it. If this thing takes off and you had a piece of that, I mean, there's no better feeling, right? Uh, yeah, and, and yeah. Well, actually, James, we'll put this on our website as well and in, in our uh, our social media. So again, uh, you know, just guys, uh, go onto the website and 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 uh, go ahead and and uh, put some money in there uh, for a great uh, great film uh, by a great director and a great writer. Uh, James, you know, before we sign off, I want I asked this of everybody, but I wanted to to know. What do you want your legacy to be when it's all said and done? When your career is is uh, you know hitting its twilight down the road, and and you know what do you want your legacy? What do you want people to walk away with when they think of James Kerwin?
0: I want people to remember that I am just a terrible, terrible cook. I cannot cook <laughs> at all. I'm really, I mean, I'm really bad. I will, I will, I will light my kitchen on fire if I try to, to, to boil an egg. Um, <laughs>
1: so you make reservations? And I'm Not actually exaggerating.
0: <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I, I, that's an interesting question. I like the question. It's just something that, um, you know, I, I just want to tell interesting stories that make people think. I want to tell stories that I am interested in about themes that I'm interested in. Um, and I hope that there are audience members out there who are interested in some of these same kind of philosophical, science-based science based, science fiction y themes. More heady science fiction, character drama, character-based stories, really about human human interaction and the human condition and the nature of our reality and how we interact with it as people. Um, those kind of stories, and there aren't a lot of those out there. Um, so you know, while it would be great to say I want to make you know massive hundred million dollar feature films and be famous, I you know I, I, I want to tell these kind of stories. Yeah. That that really that really makes me happy. And so I hope if I do leave leave a legacy behind, knock on wood, that uh, that will be it.
1: That's amazing. Really a pleasure to have you on uh, to get, you know, the uh, filmmaker, screenwriter's uh, perspective on on the entertainment business and uh, for for our listening audience. And, you know, like I said, just a pleasure to have you on. Uh, You're you're welcome on any time. And thanks again for your time.
0: Thank you, sir. I appreciate it.